Well, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 5. Specifically, we're going to be reading uh, Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll be reading through chapter 6, verse 1. So Exodus 5, 1 to Exodus 6, 1 is our sermon text for this morning. The flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of our God endures forever. This is a reading of God's word from Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey to the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And then the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that you, they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. Taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task every day, as, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they see to us make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. 
sends the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Let's go before him in prayer. Lord, truly your word is a lamp unto our feet because it exposes, Lord, all the places and the things that we try to hold on to. It reveals our weaknesses. It calls out our idolatry for worshiping and trusting in our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom. Lord, may you teach us to abandon those things and to hold on to your strength and your strength alone. Teach us these things by your spirit, through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deep down, I think all of us uh, believe that we have something worth trusting in. Uh, my guess is, is all of you trust in one of three things. Maybe you trust in your own power. Maybe you trust in your own wisdom. Or maybe you trust in your own righteousness. Uh, I Personally, for me, I, I tend to trust in my own power. I trust that I have the ability, I have the strength, I, and I don't actually need help. I've got this. Uh, the irony, though, is that when I try to trust myself, right, when I do things by my own power, what comes out of it is not amazing, wonderful, beautiful things. Right? My worst sermons uh, are the ones that I try to do on my own. Those are my worst sermons. But I think there's a deeper problem than just what trusting in yourself produces, right? The real problem is that trusting ourselves, it doesn't just end up with poor results. It ends up every time with blaming someone else. Because obviously, it can't be your fault. Because if you believe that you have the power or the wisdom or the righteousness on your own, when things don't go your way, it's got to be someone else's fault. And in our pride, right, not even God is immune to our judgment. That's where self-reliance leads. So what's the antidote to this poison? Well, Exodus 5 tells us. This passage shows us what happens when people trust their own power or their own wisdom or their own righteousness or piety. And through it, God calls us to trust his strength and not our own. God calls us to trust his strength and not our own. So first the Lord shows us what happens when people trust their own power. So when we start off in Exodus 5, there's a couple of things uh, that I need to catch you up on. First is that Moses and Aaron have come here sent by the Lord. There's this whole episode where the Lord meets with Moses in the burning bush, commands him, go and, and bring my people out of slavery. Go and talk to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, or excuse me, Moses has this whole thing where he says, well, God, I don't, I'm not strong enough. I don't have the right words. I don't want to do it. And God says, I don't care. You're going to do it. I'll send your brother Aaron, but you're going to do it. And so Moses almost begrudgingly says, fine, I'll go. But on the way to Egypt, uh, he meets with the Lord in the dead of night in chapter 4, and the Lord seeks to put Moses to death. And through this scenario in chapter 4, Moses is spared only because his wife steps in, circumcises uh, Gershom, Moses' son, and saves Moses' life. And so through this experience of near death and meeting the Lord, uh, Moses and Aaron come to Egypt finally, and they experience their first taste of success. 
They speak to the people of Israel. They show them the signs. They say all the words that the Lord commanded them to say. In the end of chapter 4, in verse 31, it says, The people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and they worshipped. And so it's fresh off of this taste of success that now Moses and Aaron go into the throne room of Pharaoh. But you can almost sense that uh, they're going in not under the right reasons. They've had this boost of confidence. And you can almost, you can taste it almost as you read their words to Pharaoh in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And of course, Pharaoh reacts exactly how you would expect a king to react to a couple of nobodies barging into his throne room and demanding that he let all of his laborers go. <laughs> he refuses. But it's not just that he refuses. It's how he refuses. Verse 2, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. This is not just Pharaoh confessing ignorance of Israel's religion. He's not just saying that he doesn't know who this God is. He's saying that whoever this God is, it doesn't matter. Whoever this God is, I have more power than him. I have more authority than him. I don't need to let Israel go. Because he believes in his own power, his own authority, he has no need to obey the Lord's voice. And so he refuses. And then you can see this change of tactic that Moses and Aaron take. Well, that didn't work. So they, they switch up what they say in verse 3. They said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey. Right? They come in at first with fire and brimstone and authority and power. And then that doesn't work. And so they say, well, please. Please let us go, but it's too late. Pharaoh is not moved. In fact, not only is he not moved, but he doubles down in verse 6, and he commands uh, that Israel shall no longer be given straw to make bricks. Not only do they fail to convince Pharaoh, but things get worse. But again, it's not just that Pharaoh increases the workload, but requires the same amount of, of output. It's how he does it. Look at verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh. It's almost as if in response to Moses and Aaron saying, Thus says the Lord, Pharaoh says, Oh yeah? Well, thus says Pharaoh. He trusts in his own power. He trusts his own authority over and against the Lord's. But where does that lead? Does trusting your own power lead to confidence, security, uh, maybe even a sense of, of um, entitlement? Look at verse 17, right? Israel's foremen, uh, the people of Israel who are set over the rest of the people, they come before Pharaoh because his demands were harsh 
and cruel, right? How could he expect to double the work with the same quota? They hope to appeal to a sense of reason and justice. But Pharaoh responds like this in verse 17, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Does that sound like someone who has it all together? Does that sound like someone who feels like they're in control? Who believes that their power is enough and that they feel secure and confident in themselves? Or does that sound like someone who feels power slipping away and is doing everything they can to hold on to it? Grasping and trying to claw their way into confidence, into, into security. And yet what's really happening is he's becoming more and more insecure. This is where trusting your own power leads. Spinning more and more out of control. Pharaoh feels threatened. He feels out of control. And so his response is to try to exert more power, more control, uh, to, to make others bend to his will instead of bending his will to the Lord. And if you and I were to be truly honest with ourselves, we're just like Pharaoh. When we feel powerless and out of control, what do we, how do we respond? We try to use our own power, our own strength, to put ourselves back in control, to try to get it, to claw for it, to get confidence and security by our own power and our own will and our own might. But what we're really saying when we do that is what we're really saying is, who is the Lord that I should obey Him? The solution is not found in your ability. The solution is to abandon your own power to abandon your own strength and to submit to the Lord. But God's not done teaching us what self where self-reliance leads. Right? As, as bad as Pharaoh's response to the Lord is, uh, God's people who should know better don't respond much better. Go back to verse 15. I mentioned already that these foremen of the people of Israel, they are Israelites, set over the laborers by uh, the taskmasters. They're the ones who bear the brunt. When the quota is not met, they're the ones who get beaten. And because they're the overseers, right, because they have the ability to go before Pharaoh, they say, well, this is wrong. And so the response to this is, this response reveals their hearts. In verse 15, they come and cry out to the Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. Two things, however, show us what the Israelite foremen are actually trusting in. The first is, is not who they go to, it's who they don't go to. 
when things get bad, who do they go to first? Is it God or is it Pharaoh? And notice that three times they say to Pharaoh that they are his servants. They go to him as though they are Pharaoh's servants seeking his mercy. They don't go to God. They go to Pharaoh. They truly believe that if they just, if they just convince Pharaoh right, that this is wrong, this is unjust, uh, and that it's actually in Pharaoh's fault that everything will be better. They believe that if Pharaoh would just listen to their wisdom, that their problems would go away, things would go back to normal, everything would be okay. But the second thing that reveals what they're trusting in is what they do when Pharaoh sends them packing. Verse 20. The foreman, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and to put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is what happens when you trust your own wisdom. You trust that you can get yourself out of your own problems. And when that doesn't work, it's someone else's fault. It must be someone else's fault because if people would just listen to you and your wisdom, everything would be better. If Pharaoh would just listen, everything would be better. But when that doesn't work, right, who do they turn to? It's not just that they turn to someone else. They turn to God's messengers. The people that the Lord sent to free them, they look at them and say, it's your fault. It's your fault we're here. And they curse the very messengers that God gave them. That's where trusting your own wisdom leads. You do what's right in your own eyes. You try to fix your own problems by your own understanding. And when your life isn't magically made better, it must be someone else's fault. The foremen believe that they truly understand what's good for them and what's bad. Everyone else needs to get on the same page, including God. But what hasn't occurred to them, because they're blinded by their own self-reliance, is that maybe this is the path the Lord has actually chosen. Maybe this is where God wants them. Maybe this isn't a flaw in God's plan, that this is exactly where the Lord wants you. And it's easy, right, to say that from the outside, looking in. It's easy to say, oh, well, if the Israelite foreman were just better, of course they'd get it. I get it. But do you? Look at your own life. What do you do when things don't go your way? What do you do when a problem happens in your life? Don't you try to fix it? using your own wisdom, your own understanding of what's good and what's bad. You know what needs to be done. And when that doesn't work, what happens? You blame someone else. 
Someone else is doing this to you. But what does God call us to do? God calls us to trust him when we don't understand what's happening. God calls us to trust him when we don't know why this is happening. We don't understand. It doesn't seem good. Doubling the amount of work by keeping the same amount of, of bricks required, that doesn't seem like a good thing. This seems like things are going in the wrong direction. But God's call to them is the same that it is to us. Trust the Lord. Trust in his wisdom and his understanding of what's truly good and not your own. And don't try to fix your own problems. Don't use your own wisdom, because that will only lead you to blaming others. Abandon your own wisdom and cling to God. But not just abandoning your own wisdom, there's one more thing that we need to abandon. Most of all, we need to abandon the idea that God owes us. So where do we get that own, where do we get that idea? We get it when we trust in our own righteousness. What do I mean by that? I mean that when that we believe that if we just do the right thing, that God will give us what we want. If you just check the right box, do some good deeds, God will give you what you want. Look at verses 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. What is Moses revealing? He's revealing that he believes he did everything right. He came in the Lord's name. He spoke to Pharaoh. He did everything God told him to do. He can't possibly be blamed for what's happening. And furthermore, God's not keeping his end of the bargain. Moses fulfilled his contractual obligations. God, you owe me. You need to fulfill your end of the bargain. But did, did Moses actually do everything right? Remember back at the beginning of the chapter, when Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, yes, they spoke in the Lord's name. They spoke with fire and with fury. But they didn't actually use the words that God gave them to use. The words that they said at first were their own words. It's not until Pharaoh says no that they change tactic and actually use word for word what God told them to say. In verse 3, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the, word, to the Lord our God. Stop. That sentence is word for word what God told them to say. But even then, they feel the need to add their own words, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Right? Moses and Aaron believed that as long as they used the right name, 
it doesn't really matter what they say because they're using the right name. They're doing everything right. It's not until things go wrong that they change and they start to use God's own words. But even then, they still add to it. Instead of trusting the words that the Lord gave them, as long as it was in the Lord's name that, that, that they thought they could say anything and that God would owe them to do it. And when that didn't work, Moses got mad at God for ruining Moses' plans. He's trusting his own righteousness. He's trusting his own piety that God owes him. If he just does the right things, he just says the right words, that God will, is contractually obliged to give him what he wants. And when that doesn't happen, what Moses says is, God, you are doing evil. You're being unfaithful. That's where trusting our own righteousness leads. It leads to calling God evil. To calling God unfaithful. When we trust our unrighteousness, this leads to anger, to making demands of those around us, to making demands of God. And when people don't meet our expectations, we curse them. We call them evil and unfaithful. But now it's God's turn to speak. We've seen throughout this whole chapter other people speaking. We've seen where trusting your own power leads, where trusting your own wisdom leads, where trusting your own righteousness leads, and now God gets the now it's God's turn. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Notice that the Lord doesn't even address Moses' accusations. Moses called God unfaithful. He called God evil. Called, called God a liar. And in face of all these false accusations, the Lord remains silent. Instead, he says, now you shall see what I will do. You've seen where Pharaoh's power leads. You've seen where the foreman's wisdom leads. And if you would just stop to self-reflect, you'd see where your own righteousness leads. But now you shall see where my power gets you. Now you shall see what I will do for you. Because God says he's still going to drive Israel out of the land. He's still going to save Israel. After all of that, God is not changing his plans. And that's because God's strength is sufficient. So abandon your power. Abandon your wisdom. 
abandon your righteousness. It cannot save you. And trust in my power alone. That's the message of Exodus 5. But it's not the final word the Lord has to say on this specific matter. But this passage doesn't show the true end point of self-reliance. It shows some of the temporary consequences. But if you want to see what self-reliance actually produces, look at the cross. Because that's where you see the very best that humanity has to offer. And you see how worthless it really is. Because it's the power and the wisdom and the righteousness of the world that put Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus didn't just die for the worst things that we've committed. Jesus had to die because the very best that we can do, our best efforts are worthless and deserving of death. It's through the cross that God reveals how worthless your power and your wisdom and your righteousness truly is. But it's also on the cross that the Lord says, now you shall see what I will do. Now you shall see what I am capable of. You are not strong enough to save yourself, but God is. You are not wise enough, you're not righteous enough, but Jesus is. And he is so wise and so powerful and so righteous that in the face of all the false accusations of the world, he remains silent for you. He died for you. Because it's on the cross that Jesus takes upon himself the consequences for your self-reliance and says, trust in my strength and my strength alone because it is everything you need. So may the Lord break open and show how worthless our own power and wisdom and righteousness is in our lives. May he give us hearts that trust in his strength and his strength alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.